Hello, world. At 23 years old, Jessica Kent was incarcerated on drug and gun-related charges in Arkansas. Shortly after her arrest, Jessica discovered she was pregnant. Although she was still struggling with withdrawals, she was given very little support in prison. When she gave birth in prison at age 24, the process was barbaric as she was chained to the bed and not allowed to get up, even to use the bathroom, for 48 hours afterwards. Today, Jessica uses her YouTube channel to talk about PTSD, addiction, and other issues that she believes in. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Jessica Kent. All right, thank you, Jessica Kent, for doing this. Welcome. You have a sweet YouTube channel. It's mediocre at best, but I appreciate the enthusiasm. Yeah, you have lots of cool videos with lots of uh, wide, a wide variety of topics. Very interesting topics. It gets crazy over there. But before we start, I just want to thank you for your patience with me because this is like an episode that was supposed to happen like six months ago and it didn't. So you've been very patient with me and my crazy schedule. Oh yeah, no worries. No worries at all. Thanks for being here. Um, how did you get started on the whole YouTube journey that, you're, that you've been on? How did you... After you got out of prison, what made you want to start YouTube channel? a YouTube channel? Yeah, I never thought I would talk about my time in prison. It was not something that I even wanted my own family to know about because it was so rough, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but I actually found this gig where I was talking to reentry, a reentry class in prison, and I was filming these little videos on my phone, like three, four-minute videos, and it was like, yeah, man, you can get out of prison and not go back. Like, you can do it. And they were really short, like, motivational-type videos. Well, I got fired from that volunteer job because a new reentry teacher came in, and they're like, nah, she's too street. We don't like her. We're not going to play these videos in prison. So I was like, well, that fucking sucks. I have so much more to say. And then I decided I was going to film seven videos on my phone, sitting on the floor in my living room, and they were going to be called Heroin My Road to Recovery. And if people find them, cool. If they don't, whatever. I'm going to record a seven-video series. That was three years ago. Now I have like a thousand videos all across the internet, and it kind of just took off. And I realized, how the fuck can you film your whole story in seven videos? That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And people came in, and they were really supportive and really kind, and it just made me continue to share my story. It's so wild, like so many people that have stories similar to yours that have spent a lot of time in prison or like, you know, fucked up their lives somehow, they end up, you know, they end up finding stuff like this, like out like an outlet on the internet where they gain tons and tons of momentum and followers and stuff like that. And there's a huge following like in true crime in, in general, the true crime genre is like bigger than it's ever been, I feel like right now. Yeah, which is amazing and it's a true testament to People can be hustlers in the street and doing shit the wrong way. And if they take that same energy and that same drive and focus to something positive, mm -hmm. they're going to see success in that. Mm -hmm. So there are so many hustlers in prison that could be entrepreneurs if they you know, devote that time to that. So when you see someone come out of prison and they're successful doing whatever it is, mm -hmm. any kind of business, that should be celebrated. Right. So what, what was uh, how much time did you do in prison, first of all? So I've served... 
I was always a short timer, uh-huh. just under five years or so. Just under five years. It's a long time. Yeah. And how old were you when you ended up going to prison? And like, what's the story? How did you land? How did you get in trouble? Yeah. So, um, birth, <laughs> just kidding. Birth? I was always <laughs> in trouble. Um, from the age of like 13 is when I started to get in trouble and started to get arrested. And I would get brought home drunk for underage drinking and fights. And that kind of started this whole criminal life, I guess. Um, so I got put on pins probation that was through the school because I was getting in fights and drinking. Um, and just, I wasn't showing up for school and I was just a freaking wreck. Um, a lot different than other 13 year olds that are just getting in like tiny little trouble. This was like a dramatic scene. Um, so pins probation turned into youth probation and then that turned into adult probation. And then I caught my first felony at 17. At 17, you caught your first felony. Mm-hmm. And that was criminal sales of a controlled substance. And the person that I <clears throat> sold these pills to overdosed. And mm. he didn't die. And you would think in that moment that would scare me, as it should. You know, like this is, you're, you're really lucky this person has his life. And what you're doing is dangerous. And you need to get out of that world. It reinforced everything that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a drug dealer and I didn't give a fuck about anyone or anything besides money and myself and my own addiction at the time. And instead of being scared at the idea of prison or someone getting hurt because of me, um, I threatened this kid's life and uh, he had to get a restraining order against me (laughs) because I was like, you fucking snitched on me and now I'm going to go to, you know, I'm getting locked up over this. So I was just a really angry, dysfunctional, drug-addicted kid that did not care about anything. Not consequences, not prison, not my own death. It was just a really weird thing. Like, I'm 32 and I'm a mother now, right? So to look back on the teenager that I was, I don't even know who that is. It seems like it was a lifetime ago or not even really me. So that first felony kind of set in motion a whole laundry list of stories and a whole laundry list of, of things. Um, I got one and a third to three. Didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. What? One and a third to three. What does that mean? In New York, it means you have to serve a year up to three. So you'll serve one and then the rest on parole. And I was violating my terms, conditions of probation and then parole all the way through. I was getting violated for, uh, absconding parole, which means going on the run or uh, failing drug screens, or getting into fights, or just living with a felon that you can't live with, parolees can't live together. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly breaking the rules, and it was just kind of a shit show to the point where parole had to be like, we're maxing you out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're fucking absconding. What I would do is, I knew I I was going to fail a drug test. Mm -hmm. So I'd run, and I'd travel the country with this magazine group of people. Have you ever seen American Honey? No. No? Oh, my Maybe God. You? Maybe, yeah. That's, uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that. So he's selling magazines door-to-door all across the country. That's what I did to go on the run from parole. And they just had enough of me, so I maxed out. So I served the rest of my time. No parole. So at, like, 19, I was like, oh, my, man, I'm not on parole. I can do whatever I want to do. No. I, I ended up selling a lot of heroin in upstate New York. And that time was really dark. I was really addicted to heroin, getting in massive amounts of debt because I was using heroin and I was supplying heroin to my friends, my boyfriend. I was living this 
weird lifestyle where I thought, like a really fast lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, I was paying my bills, my parents' bills, my mom's bills, my friends' bills, and traveling and partying, and I was racking up thousands of dollars worth of debt. And it kind of came crashing down February of 2011. My boyfriend robbed a store that I worked at, and I was thousands of dollars in debt and my dealer caught on to it. I was arrested for conspiracy to commit grand larceny or no, I'm sorry, conspiracy to commit armed robbery, grand larceny, false written statement, false police report because I lied to the cops. And then I went on the run again. (laughs) So I'm like, well, I didn't rob a fucking store. So I went on the run from a drug dealer that I owed thousands of dollars to. And I went on the run from New York state again um, and I detoxed in a hotel in North Norfolk, Virginia. And I thought, just Oof. get a lawyer. You're going to be fine. Not a big deal at all. Just get a lawyer. That way you don't have to detox in jail. And you're going to fight this case. You're fucking innocent. Um, turns out when you're on the run, you have to do illegal shit to survive. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I find my way to Arkansas. <coughs> and I was, I kind of transitioned into being a heroin dealer into a meth dealer. And... I got How a, was that transition? What, how do you do that? Terrible. <laughs> I knew absolutely nothing about meth. I knew the, the world of heroin and pills and weed, and I had all that down. But meth, it's a different game. It's a different world. Everyone's trying to get over on you. Everyone's trying to rip you off. And it's just this very strange underworld of people that you think they're your friends, but they're constantly trying to steal your shit and then help you look for it. It's fucking chaos. Or they're trying to sell you a TV and like stolen watches and like an army knife or some shit. So it was just a crazy fucked up world. When you talk about heroin, are you talking about like oxys and stuff and roxies and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Okay. Kind of. Okay. But I'm talking about heroin. Right. But that stuff is basically heroin, right? Okay. Yeah. Same. Or effect. hillbilly heroin. That's what mm-hmm. they call it. Yeah. Who calls Legal. it that? I don't know. People documentary. in Florida. People in Florida. Yeah. People in Flo- Florida should be a Netflix series. Yeah. It, it is. What's well, a YouTube series? should be on oh, the Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, heroin was a different lifestyle. You know, people don't want to be sick from heroin, so they'll do anything to bring you cash. Mm-hmm. Meth is like a different thing, and I couldn't keep up. Hmm. I wanted my reputation, you know, to kind of follow me wherever I went. Like, oh, I'm good for this. My product is good. But I couldn't keep up with meth heads that were and I was a meth head too but I couldn't keep up with people on meth that were constantly saying your shit is cut and I'll sell you this TV so it was just a complete mess and I was also at the time heavily addicted to meth because I realized you're not going to get sick really when you come down off meth you're going to sleep and you're going to eat well my DOC was heroin so when I figured that out on meth it was like oh man I'm not going to throw up and have explosive diarrhea TMI I'm sorry (laughs) but I'm not going to be violently sick And I really liked that, but I got down to like 85 pounds and I'm already really small. So you can imagine I was like a napkin flying out of car windows. I was small, (laughs) like I was tiny. Um, But October of 2011, I got another three felonies on top of the felonies that I have now out of New York. So it was very overwhelming for me, but my felonies were possession of int- with intent to deliver almost three ounces of meth, simultaneous possession of drugs and a firearm, and delivery of meth. In the South, mm. they were not fucking around. Jesus. And how old were you during all this? Jeez, at that time, 23. So wow. young. Yeah, but that's, I was 23, that's 10 years in that world. 
So to me, like saying that I was 23, yeah, I was really young, but at that time I had lived 10 different mm-hmm. lives by the time I was 23. So I had those felonies in Arkansas. So I'm going back, but I also have felonies out in New York. So I had no idea how much time I was going to get. I didn't know if it was going to be 20 years, like they first said when I was arrested. Um, and in Arkansas, 20 years doesn't really mean 20 years, but that was a learning curve. Plus I have all these felonies in New York. So I really didn't think that I would even be sitting here right now. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I'd be out of prison until I was like 40 at the time. Wow. It was really scary. Um, so as I was trying to figure out what New York is going to do, what Arkansas is going to do, trying to navigate the prison system down there and what the laws even really mean, I found out that I was also pregnant. Hmm. And, like, I can go to prison. I can do the time. I fucking deserve it. I know I do. And, but the variable of pregnancy, how the fuck do you go to prison pregnant? I had no idea. I had no concept for what that looked like or what that would mean for my life or now my unborn child. I didn't know if she was going to be safe. I didn't know if I was drinking enough water or getting nutrition for her. It was a lot. Plus, I'm coming down off of drugs. I don't know if she's healthy. I don't even know if I'm healthy. So at first, like the first few weeks in jail in Arkansas, I was terrified. For the first time in my life, it caught my attention. Like, this isn't about you anymore. You have to stop being a selfish kid, running and gunning and thinking that you're a thug. And now you have to take responsibility for your shit. And that was a mountain. So once you you ran down south from New York and you started getting into meth and all that, how did you eventually get arrested and sentenced? Those are two different things. So those are two... I mean, well, arrested. Okay, so I... I was going to leave Arkansas many times and I had friends that would get me a bus ticket so I could leave. I would call them up in a moment of clarity and say, I'm really fucked up. I'm really sick. I need treatment. I need your help. And I would have friends buy me bus tickets that they, I mean, they would do that in a heartbeat. And I really appreciate that looking back because they tried, you know, and someone was there trying, but I had a bus ticket and uh, at 4.30 in the morning, downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas, October 20th of 2011, I decide that instead of sitting in this hotel waiting for the bus the next morning, I'm going to go to the gas station and get food. Why the fuck? I have no idea. Uh, nothing good happens at 4 a.m. in the South. No mm. one is out. You're not in Times Square. Like, there is no one on the roads. Just no. you, tweakers, and cops. That's it. I'm the tweaker. And there was a cop across the street from the gas station. And we pulled into this gas station and I saw him and I thought, fuck, leave everything here. Throw it away. Don't don't drive away from this gas station with drugs and guns like this is you're going back. And the person that I was with, I was trying to let him know, like, we're about to get arrested. Like we're at least about to get pulled over. Make sure you ditch everything. And there's this thing in the meth world where everyone's like, you're paranoid. It's not even that bad. Like you're fine. Relax. You're too high. You've been up for too many days and it's not paranoia if they're really fucking coming for you. Mm -hmm. So try to convince someone that is also high on meth that you're about to be arrested. You can't because when you get high on meth, people will look out the curtains and they think the cops are coming for them. So you cannot tell someone this is really going to happen. They don't believe you. They think that everything is a scam. Everything's a game. So he thought I was going to try to take whatever stuff he had, right? Because if you leave it at the gas station, maybe I have planned for someone to go in and get it. Mm -hmm. There's no reasoning with this person at all. So I get back in the car and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fucking prove it to you. Let's go to prison today. (laughs) Like instead of just not getting in that car and walking away, I just wanted to prove a point. 
So we pulled out of the gas station, and sure enough, within two minutes, cop get, gets behind us and hits the lights. Now I am really high, like really fucked up. On meth. Mm-hmm. And I'm texting a million miles an hour to everyone I know, jail Fort Smith, jail Fort Smith, jail Fort Smith, because that way they're going to know I've got arrested and I'm in Fort Smith. Well, um, sober people didn't know what that meant. They're like, why did Jess text me at 4.30, mm-hmm. jail Fort Smith? What the fuck does this mean? I'm texting people that I sell to. I'm texting my family. I'm texting my friends in different states so they know where I am. Half of them had no fucking idea what that text meant. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, someone's going to know where I'm at. I'm going to get bond. Uh, well, when the cop came to the window, he immediately opened my door. And he immediately took me out of the car. And I'm like, this is not a routine traffic stop. <laughs> this is very different. And within five minutes, DTF was on scene, the drug task force. And that looks like un- unmarked cars and cops in regular street clothes and like a badge with like around their neck or whatever. And I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, fuck. Usually when I go to jail, it's just a second cop car pulls up and maybe a drug dog. Yeah. Right. This looks dramatic, you know. So I immediately was like running through my mind of this has been an investigation and they know who the fuck we are. And I was, I was scared, but I was also like a really angry, high little shit of a person. So, you know, he, he arrests me almost immediately. They search the car, they find two ounces of meth and a gun and I get sent to jail where I'm trying to come down and trying to get through the intake process, which is a really long day. And DTF came in within a few hours to interview me, and I told to interview me, and I told them to go fuck themselves and take me back to my cell. <laughs> and they're like, "Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Like, we have pictures of you from inside your own car. Here's a picture of you selling a big bag of meth." And I'm like, "I don't give a fuck. Take me back to my cell." I go back to my cell, and I think the next day is when a new charge slid under my door on this piece of paper, like a CO had brought it in, and it was delivery of meth. So now, you know, I had the two charges when I was arrested and then delivery of meth came a little bit later. And the DTF or the drug task force tried to interview me probably three or four more times before I finally took a plea six months later. And every single time I made sure to tell them, I'm not fucking helping you get meth off the street. That's not my job. You're a crime stopper. Figure the fuck out. And the whole time, everyone around me was like, Jess, everyone snitches in Arkansas. There are three kinds of people in Arkansas. Those that told, those that wish they told, and those that wish they had somebody to tell on. Which one are you? <laughs> and I'm like, Damn. I'm a lost New Yorker. Like, what the fuck? You don't snitch where I'm from. And I just didn't understand. I really didn't. Until I did. Until my motion of discovery came back and there were strangers in it. People snitched on me that I had never met before. So it just kind of really? made sense. Wow. Yeah. Same thing for everyone that I knew. Strangers will snitch on you to get out of that arrest because they just want to go back out on the street and use meth. Right. And that's the meth world. You know, there's absolutely no loyalty and it's just a really fucked up place to be. I don't think it's only in Arkansas. From the amount of people we've it's had on here, it's <clears throat> everybody snitches on exactly what you said. That mm-hmm. goes, that's the way it goes everywhere. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. I'm a firm believer in do your own time. Mm -hmm. If you're running and gunning and you're in that lifestyle and you get arrested Mm -hmm. and just to get out of trouble, you try to tell on someone else, fuck you. (laughs) That's so funny. Do your own time. (laughs) We had this guy on here last week and he was talking about how he, uh, he was in prison for like 20 years and he met some old guy who ran a Ponzi scheme just randomly like on his, and like 10 years in, he met this old guy and they'd walk the yard together. And he said, this guy was just like, telling him a story about all this stuff and where he has this money buried or whatever. And he asked him, he's like, 
can I trust you to tell you this? And he's like, probably not. And he's like, ah, fuck it. And he told him, and then he immediately went to the feds and told them, and he got like, he got like five years knocked off his sentence. Yeah, or maybe seven or something. And the guy that he told on only got like six months added to his sentence. Mm-hmm. Man. I mean, <laughs> for what, bro? Five like, years. He got five years for it. Would you do it for five years? To get five years knocked off my sentence? Mm-hmm. Would you tell on some old guy who and get that uh, ran a Ponzi scheme to get five years of freedom? No. <laughs> really? No. Because you have to think about it. Yeah, he got five years, years knocked off of his sentence, but now every single person on that compound knows you're a snitch. Right. There's not a second <clears throat> that I'm going to live in that, in that light. Right. It's dangerous. Yeah. You know, so there's, <laughs> there's not a fucking chance in hell. Yeah. I, it depends on the kind of uh, correctional facility you're in, right? If, if you're in there with a bunch of people that are dangerous or you're in there like in a low level one with a bunch of like blue collar criminals, then... Everyone can be dangerous Yeah. on any day. Emotions run really high in prison. They're not, you know, we're not drinking enough water. We're not getting enough sleep. We're not getting enough nutrition. We're away from our family. Emotions run really fucking high. Mm. I've seen people get beat up over a 50 cent pizza sauce packet. Like people are not playing. So anyone can be dangerous at any moment in time, no matter what level you're at of prison. But yeah, man, I, I'm not snitching. <laughs> yeah. No. What kind of, you were in like a state prison? What kind of, where, where were you? So most women do time in maximum security prisons. Okay. So I was really? maximum security and that might seem weird, right? Uh, like my celly in the last place that I was at had capital murder mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of facilities for women. So men will get transferred around a lot, you know, um, low level crimes will be kind of sectioned off with low level crimes. And there's all of these yards that you can, you can go on. It's different for women. So men will go like through diagnostic and then they'll go finally to their home jail. The feds will move you all around. Um, it's just very different for women. We had, I had a couple, uh, uh, female ex cons on here about a year ago and they were talking about how they were in a, a low, low Mm. security prison camp. And they were talk. They were saying that um, they could basically manipulate the guards however they wanted. Like they would have the guards basically like wrapped around their fingers because they would just you know these guys these guys who were prison guards were kind of like losers, and uh, they were just like desperate for any kind of attention from a female. So these girls mm-hmm. would just like play them as far as they could as, take it as far as they possibly could to get whatever they wanted to the point where these these prison guards would bring them like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. That's, oh that's not God. what it was like when you were there. I cannot believe it. That <laughs> yeah. is shocking and devastating. <laughs> um, hey, one second. Hey, Michael, can you hit the power button on the AC behind the bookshelf real quick? Just turned off. Sorry, go ahead. So, <clears throat> yeah, that happens. It happens. You can get anything that you want in prison. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. You can get anything you want. If you're good at manipulating guards... If you have money, you can get what you want. You can do drugs in prison. You can drink alcohol in prison. You can get McDonald's and free world food. It's not easy. It takes time, you know. It takes time to kind of warm up a guard or manipulate a guard into doing those things for you. But it happens every single day. Yeah. Now, um, so you got arrested. You went to jail. And then how long did it take for you to get sentenced or get like a plea, a plea deal? Uh, what? How did that process go? So... The last time. Um, New York is quick. Arkansas is kind of slow. They gave me a plea within, I want to say, like a few weeks, a month or so. And it was 20 years. And I said, fuck you. (laughs) No, I'm not signing a 20-year plea. And then they came back and said, probably two more months later, they said, what was it, Uh, 10 years. And I 
I was so happy because we were negotiating. You went from 20 to 10. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Still no, but great. We're negotiating. And I had a public defender because when you're a drug dealer, all your assets are seized, all your money is taken, car, anything that you own is taken mm -hmm. because they just assume that you have gotten all of that from selling drugs. So I didn't have a good lawyer. And um, I, I was being told by my public defender, we're going to go to trial and you're going to fucking lose. Like, please listen to me and take this 10-year plea. 10 years is really, you'll do 50% of your time, which is five years. And now I'm like really pregnant at that moment. Really? Mm -hmm. I found out I was pregnant like three weeks into this arrest and I didn't know how to handle that or what to do. Three weeks after you're already in jail? Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. They didn't, they didn't test me for my pregnancy when I came through intake in this jail, which is really bizarre because a lot of places do that just to make sure that no one's getting pregnant while they're there. Mm -hmm. Right. So I didn't even think about it because I was high and it just didn't cross my mind in the intake process. Um, but I, I found out I was pregnant because another girl put in a sick call for me because I was really sick after I had been there for a few weeks and it was something beyond coming down off drugs. So yeah, I, f I found out I was pregnant and these pleas, like I can't sign a 20 year plea because I'm never going to get out for this kid. I can't sign a 10 year plea because I'm never going to get out for this kid. If I was not pregnant and they said 10, but 50% of your time, I would have signed it in a heartbeat to get out of county jail. <laughs> county jail is horrible. I can do five years. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just knew that I had to fight as hard as I possibly could so that I could get out for this baby without snitching. Because at the time, like right before this arrest, I sold meth for the cartel. And I just wasn't going to go. So six months into my stay... I got a five-year plea. And when I tell you I signed that piece of paper so fast, I had never signed paper faster. I'm like, oh, give it to me. So I, I got five years, 15 suspended, 40 years exposure. That's just a bunch of noise to say that if I ever commit another felony in the state of Arkansas, I am so fucked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm retired now, so it's fine. It's working out. Um, I am currently off parole, but I am still serving suspended sentence time. And then my 40 years exposure kicks in, which is just... Again, wow. noise for don't commit another felony. So explain to me what that was like when you first found out you were pregnant in prison. Like, did you have to go to like a clinic and they like, how did that, how does that go with women who get pregnant or who are pregnant when they get incarcerated? Every facility is different. So I can't speak for what it's like to be pregnant <laughs> in other places. Um, I can just speak on my experience in Arkansas. So when I found out I was in complete denial because I didn't know how to handle it. I'm coming off drugs. I'm looking at 20 years. I, I can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> so I remember telling the nurse, like, you're, you got the wrong one. You mixed up my stuff with someone else. There's no way, no way I'm pregnant. And she's like, okay, crazy. You can go back to your cell now. Like mm -hmm. weird. Um, and this was just like mentally for me, it was, it was too much to handle. So for my first two months in, I probably just didn't even think about it. Logistically, the jail had to come to the realization that I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm going to be here for a long time. So they had to take me to the free clinic in the street. So I would be cuffed up, chained up, and taken into the free world in orange, in chains, to doctor's appointments. Mm, that wow. sucks. So Fuck. embarrassing. Yeah. 
And they wouldn't like bring me through the back door. No, no, we're walking through the front door. Yeah. No. And like you, they'd hear the chains. Everyone would turn and look. I had one girl taking pictures of me one time, and I'm like, I swear to God, if I was not in these handcuffs, I would beat the <laughs> fuck out of you. Like I was so embarrassed and so mad. And that's just how they handled it at that facility. They you had to like sit in the lobby and shit with yes. all the other people. Mm-hmm. Wow. With two guards on my side, no. <laughs> like I like I'm a serial killer or something, and it was so embarrassing. And, like, I think every moment throughout my incarceration this last time was so embarrassing and so hard, like, mentally draining, physically exhausting. It was so traumatic and difficult for me that, like, it just, it changed everything for me. It changed how I saw myself, how I looked at the world, how I looked at the street life that I had meditated on for so long. Like, I was 12 and 13 saying, like, I'll go to prison one day, but I'll just handle it. Like, that makes no fucking sense. Mm. So... Finally, I get my plea and I get transferred out of county and sent to prison, right? Well, I have to give birth at some point. So that has to happen. What, at what point do you like accept the fact that you're pregnant and do you have like some sort of like mind, like a change in your way of thinking to where like you want to actually like take care of the baby and like and think about like being a mom and then getting out of prison? What are you going to do when you get out? What's yeah. it going to be like when you give birth and then you get separated like did you start to like think about this kind of stuff and did that start kind of like change your way of thinking at all yeah like in labor i thought maybe i am having a baby no like (laughs) i was i was just in such denial for so long and i didn't know what to do or how to handle it right so when i got to prison they transferred me out of the max into a medium and that will make sense in a second Uh, i had met other girls at the time that were also pregnant Mm. and you know, I would watch them because we're all at different stages of our pregnancy. I'd watch them go have their babies and then come back to the unit and show pictures and then see their babies on like a Saturday because these babies went with family members. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this chick did it. I can fucking handle this. I'm tough. I got this. I can do it. I had nine months to prepare for what was about to happen. And I just thought, you know, if I'm seeing these women do it and I've had nine months to mentally prepare for having my baby and then coming back to prison, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I have gone through so much shit. I can handle this. Well, um, it was like four o'clock in the morning, which is like my time, I guess, for everything happening. And I went into labor and I was just in complete denial that I was in labor. I didn't want to tell the guards I was in labor because I never talked to the guards. And I was just really scared. Well, they made me walk down to the infirmary, which was very difficult in active labor. And I get to the infirmary and I thought they're going to help you now because you're at the infirmary, like, which is a really long walk. Prison has long hallways. You have to be buzzed through every single door. They have controlled movement. You can't just like walk freely. It's not like Orange is the New Black. Um, So it takes time to get to where you're going. And um, I thought, oh man, just get to the infirmary and they're going to help you out. I got there by like 4.30, maybe five o'clock. And the, the CO or like the nurse says to me, just sit down here, and when shift change comes, then we'll take you to the hospital. And I'm like, shift change? That's at, like, 7.30, and they have to do count on the compound. And corrections officers, no offense if you are one and you're listening, can't count. Right. <laughs> so they fuck it up every single Don't time. Don't worry, we offended plenty mm-hmm. of them. Cool. Um, I'm sorry, but count gets fucked up every single day, all day long. They just they cannot count, and they misplace inmates, which means, like, I'm in the infirmary. They're going to fuck it up because I'm supposed to be on the unit. So I just know that that's going to take forever. I had to sit there in active labor by myself in a wheelchair with, like, a puppy pad underneath me just by myself watching the clock. As you were in labor? In active labor. 
first time mom, I have no idea what's going to happen. And no one took it seriously because my water didn't break, but I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. Like I've never had a fucking baby before. So I'm like, I don't know if I should be at the hospital right now. I don't know what's happening. And all I could think in that moment, and this is probably the first time in my life I've ever thought this is I just wish my mom was here. I just wish my mom was here. So finally we go to the hospital and the the nurses are like swishing around me and they're talking to the COs and they're not really talking to me and I feel so degraded and embarrassed that I'm here as an inmate plus I'm also in extreme pain and they asked me if I wanted an epidural but they asked me through the guards if I could have one and I'm like this is a medical decision you're gonna mm-hmm. ask a CO if I can have an epidural they're a, they're fucking babysitters they're not medical professionals it was just a really bizarre experience for me So I am trying to like mentally prepare for having a baby today. Like we are having a baby today by myself with no one, just CEOs on my shoulder. My family's not here. I don't know where my baby's going to go. I don't know how to have a baby. Like it's so much. Are you in any communication with your family at all? Zero at this point. Because once you leave the prison and you're out, you can't make a phone call. You can't let them know that you're outside of the facility. It's a security risk. But how how earlier have you... spoken with them prior to going into labor oh that's a good question um i think i had wrote my mom a letter maybe that month i I would talk to my mom as much as i could Mm. prison phone calls are really expensive so i couldn't call my mom that often but we would write pretty regularly a couple of times a month Mm. i wasn't exactly even sure of my due date you know we were just kind of guessing so she didn't know i was having a baby (laughs) she did (laughs) but she didn't so um micah was born at three And I, to prepare for this, I thought when she comes out, they're going to take her over here and I'm just going to look over here. And if I don't look at her, maybe I'll be okay. Like then I won't love her. And as weird as that sounds, and as much as people have judged me for saying that in the past, you have to understand I spent nine months preparing to give birth to a child I wasn't going to have, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. So I had to put these walls up or these barriers up in my own mind for a second because it was so heavy and so hard for me to handle So the CEO at the time, shift change came and awful one came in, but the CEO that was with me during this process was actually really nice to me. And she saw what I was doing. And she said, girl. It was a female. That's nice. Mm -hmm. It was a female and a male. The dude left. He's like, I think we're good here. I'm going to step outside. And I'm like, thank you, bro. (laughs) Like, thank you. Um, But she sees what I'm doing. She sees that I'm not looking at this baby. And she says, girl, you better look at that baby. And I did, and she was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life, and they brought her over to me, and I held her, and you asked a minute ago if I had thought throughout my pregnancy that I was going to be different. No, not until I saw my daughter. When I saw her, everything changed. Everything changed. And people talk about mama bear instincts, but they don't say, like, you will kill for this little baby that you met five seconds ago. And it's so fierce, and it's so strong. So during my pregnancy, I was trying to protect this baby. I, you know, I was trying to make sure I was eating enough and drinking enough water and staying active and healthy the best that I could in prison. I had to fight for prenatal vitamins at one point, and I was just desperate to keep this baby inside of me healthy. But I didn't think beyond that. So now when I'm holding her on her birthday, I thought, oh, my God, I have to protect her at all costs. I have to be there for her, which is a really traumatizing thing. Because two days later, I had to go back to prison. And I'm grateful for the two days that I had. They let you have two days with the baby. I was only supposed to have 24 hours. So 
the doctor came in and for whatever reason, she granted me another 24 hours. And I was so grateful because you only get 48 hours in the hospital if you're an inmate, if it's a C-section. And I didn't have a C-section. So I was so grateful. I still to this day don't know why she gave me the extra day, but I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to like prepare during those two days for like leaving. And I just wanted time to stand still so I could stay with her. And unfortunately, the COs that were with me, they refused me getting up and going to the bathroom, getting up and walking around. They refused these requests. So my recovery was really hard. But at the at the time in the hospital, I didn't know. Wait, that after you had the baby, they refused you going to the bathroom? They didn't want to unchain me that often. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So because I was so embarrassed, I didn't push and I didn't fight. I have a baby in my arms. If it was just me and I was just a regular inmate in a hospital, bitch, unchain me. I have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm, right. Like I would have lost my mind. But I was so scared of like something happening to my baby that I kind of just let them treat me however they wanted mm. because they're intimidating. And every aspect to my attitude and my personality completely changed when I saw this baby. And I was really afraid of the guards that were in there because they were shitty to me. And what's even more disgusting is that the COs that were with me were mostly female These pa- the two days that I was there. They were women. They were women and denying me... <laughs> bathroom privileges and the doctor came in and said hey she has to get up and walk around so that her recovery is better and the CEO straight up said no it's a security risk so being left chained to a bed for two days after you give birth just because you're an inmate is the most fucked up thing that we could ever do in this country to, to women in prison it's fucked up and what I didn't could they possibly be worried about like you're you're, you're in a gown I mean I'm not only in a gown but I had an epidural I had a whole ass baby okay right. like not, I don't want to like gross y'all out, but like you can't run after you have a baby. Like you're right. sore, no. everything yeah. hurts. Um, and even if you have a, that's crazy. If you have a C-section, they only give you two days. Two days. Like it takes you minimum two days to recover from a C-section. If you're not in prison or whatever, like you have yeah. to stay there for two days mandatory. And then after that, you can't even walk for a couple of days after that. I can't imagine how hard it would have been if I had a C-section. Oh. Like women that have had C-sections are fucking warriors. I can't imagine how painful that must have been. Uh, but yeah, I, I now have to go back to prison, right? Like it's coming. Yeah. So it was, I don't know, one or two in the afternoon on day two and the guards came in and they're getting me ready. And a caseworker comes in and takes my picture and they let me know that your daughter's going to go into foster care and they're, they're saying things, but I'm not really paying much attention because whatever, I have to look at this baby and stare at her. (laughs) I have to hold her and stare at her and talk to her and tell her I'll be back for you. And I am almost losing it finally a guard comes in and she is at the she's at my back so she's at the door and my back is to her and micah is now in this little bassinet and um she said kent it's time to go and i'm holding onto the bassinet and i said no you can't tell us you know just pause there Mm. (laughs) it's a bad idea um but she said don't make this harder than it has to be and i was just I was so like, I will kill you over this baby, right? Right. Like, I have to protect her. I can't leave her. And the COs come at me from behind, and they grab me by the shoulders, and they grab me and throw me into this wheelchair, and immediately they're working together to shackle me up and chain me to this fucking wheelchair. And as fast as they get me down in the wheelchair, they fly me out of this hospital room, and we're now flying down this corridor to get me out of this hospital so that I don't get violent and cause a scene, I guess. And all I can think about is, but what about this baby? 
like, what about my baby? She's alone in this room. Like, what is going to happen? And I completely lost my mind. They left the baby alone in the room in the bassinet? Mm-hmm. Because a nurse is going to come in and foster care is going to come in and take custody of her. But all I can think about is the room is now empty, you know, and that baby is by herself. And I was like, tears were just pouring out of my face and I was shaking, like violently shaking and scared. And it was just awful. People are staring at me as we're whooshing past people and they throw me into the van outside and they close the door and then they get in the van and we're driving away. Right. And then the conversations of these officers were like completely fucking normal. You know, like, oh, what are we going to do for lunch? And I'm like, what are we going to do for lunch? Are you fucking kidding me? They're talking like it's a regular day at work. And this is single-handedly the most traumatizing experience I've ever gone through. And we go back to the prison and we go into the Sally port and the COs are trying to talk to me and ask me questions, but I can't even really hear them and I can't speak. And I didn't think about why, but the next moment that I kind of came out of that, I guess, I realized that I was in the infirmary. I didn't know how long I had been there, but I knew that I wasn't in GP and I wasn't on my unit. So I didn't, I didn't know then, but I know now that I have PTSD and the reason why I don't remember what they said to me and the reason why there's huge gaps, like days missing after I get back to the prison is because it was so traumatic for me that my brain was just trying to protect me from the trauma that I was experiencing. Yeah. Um, so there are days missing after Micah was born where I just don't really know what happened. I don't, maybe I slept the whole time. I don't know, but I wish I knew what the guard said when I came back. I wish I knew what was going on, but I have no fucking idea. And I, I laid there for probably a week or two. And finally I woke up one morning and I thought you cannot be there for her. If you're going to sit in this bed, get up. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why are you in the infirmary still? Go back to the unit. And I asked the nurse like, Hey, um, can I go back to my unit? Do I have to stay here? And she goes, Oh, well, how are you feeling? I'm like, I feel fine. I'm okay. I just, I kind of want to go back to the unit. And she said, yeah, I'll get the paperwork now. If you think you're ready to go back, then you can go back, which is bizarre to look back on because I didn't have a psychological evaluation done then. I didn't have any medical or mental health professionals coming in and talking to me that I remember. Maybe they did. I don't remember it. I just went back to my unit and I signed up for every class I could take. I signed up for thinking errors and parenting classes and just anything I could think of to make it look good for my jacket so that I could try to get out early. And I didn't get a picture of my daughter until she was probably two or three months old. I didn't get visitation with her. I didn't talk to her on the phone. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know who had her. And uh, the first time that I finally saw her again, she was six months old, and it was at a family court hearing. Mm. And that was really hard. Uh, The judge granted me like 15 minutes in chambers with her, and I got to hold her for 15 minutes, and I got to meet the foster family. And they were such an incredible couple. Um, the, the wife was very interested in what I had to say and just very kind and compassionate immediately. I could tell that she wasn't judging me. I could tell that she really loved my daughter. And for the first time in six months, I was so relieved that a good person has my daughter because I didn't really know, like she was writing me letters after the first couple of months, but I didn't know. And I'm a firm believer in like energy. So like, I really loved her energy and she was just so kind. Her husband was in a blue polo in the corner of the room with his arms crossed. And I'm like, he's a cop. Really? I could just tell. Hmm. So 
um, I wrote her a letter once I got back to the prison and I asked, is, is your husband a cop? And she goes, oh yeah, he is. He is a cop. I can tell. So it was mm-hmm. that awkward, like cop inmate in vibe yeah. and I could just pick up on it. Um, which was really funny at the time, like the irony in, in that, but they, they took such good care of her. And I told, uh, Heather, the foster mom, I told her, I'm going to do whatever I can to be in Micah's life. I'm changing my life and I will be there for her as soon as I get out. And she believed me and she, she saw how serious I was in that moment. Her husband did not because statistically he would have been right. I was a drug Mm -hmm. addict, multiple time offender. You know, so to say that she's not going to be able to get it together and you were going to be able to adopt this baby, that's a fair statement, mm-hmm. judging by all of the signs. I would have probably made the same assessment. I am different. <laughs> I, I got out uh, and was released to a halfway house. So I was technically homeless. I had prison shower shoes, which are really janky flip-flops, and I had sweatpants that said 711-548, my inmate number. That's all I owned in the they world. Did you keep them? I bought them. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you have awesome. to pay for them. You still hope you still have them. I don't, actually. No? I have a prison t-shirt with my number on it, but I think okay. I lost the sweatpants. <laughs> Shit. I know. Um, they were really comfortable, too. I worn them in. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I was homeless, and I, I got a couple of jobs. One was at a telemarketing job, and one was at a, a smoke shop, like vapor smoke shop. And I had to travel four hours to have visitation with my daughter because that's where she was placed. And in order for me to do that, I had to hustle to get rides. So she was placed you know, four hours away and I'd get, I'd hustle, get rides, visit with her for two hours and hustle back. And, um, I was, you know, working these two jobs and trying to save up money. I had to get a driver's license and that's kind of hard because all my shit's in New York. So I had to get a birth certificate and like, it was just so much, right. I had to get an apartment to make sure that I could, you know, have a place for Micah. Um, it, it was just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in Arkansas. They don't want to rent you if you're a felon. So that was even more of an obstacle. And um, I was doing hair follicle drug testing and I was doing all these things for parole and it was, I was doing therapy. I mean, it was a very long process that spanned over a year long. And finally, a year after my release, I was granted full custody of Micah. Really? And she's nine years old That's now. That's awesome. What was the, um, what was like the arrangement with like the foster family and you, did you guys like have some sort of like mutual understanding of like, like, cause sometimes you would imagine if there's a foster family that takes a baby, a brand new baby, they'll get attached to it and they'll want to keep the baby. A thousand percent. They loved her to death. (laughs) And I'm so glad that she was with people that loved her. And a lot of people think they can't do foster care because they're like, I'm going to get attached and I'm going to love that Mm. child and I'm not going to want to give her back or give him back. Um, if you have that much love to give, you should be a foster parent. Yeah. Um, despite, you know, your own personal feelings and attachments, if you have that kindness and that love, you should open your home if, if possible, because we have so many kids in foster care. So don't get me started on that. Um, but the arrangement was that if I lost, I would move to the town that they were in and I would have, you know, daily access to Micah and she would still be in my life, which I appreciated, but I wasn't going to settle for that. I was going to fight until my last breath to have custody of my baby. Mm-hmm. And really, to be completely transparent, I thought I was going to lose because the odds were heavily stacked against me. And I just wanted my daughter to know I fought for you until the end. And then when I lost, I appealed it and I fought more and I fought and I've been fighting all your life. I didn't want her to think that I didn't love her and that I just gave up on her. So I really thought that I was just going to lose and she would know that I fought the best that I could. I had heard horror story after horror story of, of parents losing their kids and not getting them back. So I, I really thought that was going to be the case with me. 
So if anyone's listening and they're shocked that I got my kid back, me too, bro. <laughs> me too. I didn't know how to raise a kid or cook anything. Like I didn't know how to be a mom, but I learned and Micah taught me every day what to do. And, you know, it, it's amazing looking back that I was able to do everything that I did in such a short time, you know, and I'm really proud. I think my, my biggest achievement, my biggest accomplishment is getting custody of Micah. And then obviously, you know, staying sober and doing everything else that I've done. But that, if that didn't happen, nothing else would have happened. If I would have lost her, I would have, I'd probably be dead. <laughs> I probably would have relapsed. How long did it take you to finally get custody from the time you got out of prison until you got full custody over? Over a year. Over a year. Mm-hmm. Still, it doesn't, like one year doesn't seem like that long of a time to do it that. It doesn't. But it was really hard. Really? <laughs> you know, it's, They didn't want to give her up. Not the foster family. Oh, this oh. is the court system. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I had to do, you know, drug testing and psychological testing and therapy and mm-hmm. meetings, like NA and AA meetings and parole and go visit her every single week. I never missed one visit, even though I didn't have a car to start with. So I would just hustle and I'm like asking people at work, I need a ride, I need a ride, like help me, please give me a ride. Um, so it was it was a tremendous struggle, but I did it and I still can't, I still don't even know how. Like when did I sleep? I was working two jobs at the same time. Right. So... It was crazy. I think I just worked myself into staying sober. Like I worked to death and I had mm-hmm. no time to think about it. You had no time to, mm-hmm. yeah. It's crazy that there's people like out there like that. People that will just take in a, a random baby into their <laughs> life and, and raise a brand new baby. That's so much work. Mm-hmm. So much work. You lose so much sleep. It just takes away so much from you, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have kids? Yeah, I have one kid. Mm-hmm. So and you know. Yeah, I couldn't imagine just being like, okay, let's take somebody else's kid and, and you know, let's raise it till, she, till he or she is two and then give it back. Like, that's... Yeah. It's, it's so... the most. I would love to be a foster parent. But really? I understand why, like, to some people, it's like, holy fuck, why would you want to do that it's so much? Um, but if I wasn't, like, a career criminal on paper, <laughs> I would yeah. love to be a foster parent. Because we have like over 400,000 kids in foster care that need good homes. So, Really? Mm-hmm. How, how, I wonder how many, do you know like the statistics on how many children are born in prison? Like to mothers that are, like, are, are incarcerated, like give birth, like get pregnant? You would think I would know. I should know that. I have yeah. a whole ass degree in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> correctional program support services. Um, I don't have the numbers on it. I bet you a lot of them get knocked up by the guards, right? Why do you think that? I mean, because I know it happens a lot, right, in prison. Like, a lot of the female inmates will have sex with the male guards. It's not as widespread as you would think, uh-huh. like pregnancy by a guard. Mm-hmm. Sex, yeah, it's, it's happening. Because I know it happened in Coleman, that prison up in, uh, in North Florida. There was a girl there who mm-hmm. claimed she got raped by one of the guards, and then she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they found out that her baby was the guard's actual baby. Yeah. And then they ended up, like, firing the guy, and he got, I think he got in trouble. I mean, he should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's insane. Yeah, for sure. It's not. It's not as widespread though as you would think. Like pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying sex is not widespread in prison. I'm mm-hmm. saying like pregnancy. Right. 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 A lot right. of women go in to jail and prison pregnant, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't unless they're fucking serial killers. Can right. they stay home until they have their baby so it's not traumatic? Like right. it's the bare minimum. House arrest would suffice. Most women are in on nonviolent charges, nonviolent drug charges specifically. Like so yours. Like, like yours. Right. You had guns, but were you violent? On paper, technically, I'm a violent offender. Okay. Um, But I'm I'm not violent. I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Um, For me, when when I say these things, like women should be able to stay home, I fucking know I deserve to go to prison. You know, I did my time. 
I know that I deserved it. I am technically a violent offender. So for me, that wouldn't have changed the outcome for me, mm-hmm. but it can change the outcome for so many other women. And I don't think anyone, I don't think any prison should house pregnant women unless they have a nursery program mm-hmm. because, oh my God, just the, tra- the trauma surrounding leaving your baby, not just for the mother, but for the baby as well. It's so hard. Yeah. I mean, you're ripping a baby out of, you know, it's mother's hands. Like this baby has heard the mom's heartbeat and voice for nine months and you're taking that away. Yeah. So it that was and just, the, like the, everything from like the breastfeeding too, mm-hmm. like that's really important. How did you deal with that? That's a really good question. They have to like tape you up or something. I, I was given ACE bandages and told to wrap my chest with ACE bandages. Really? And it was the most painful experience of my life. Mm. I have some friends that are trans that had top surgery and they're like, you shouldn't wrap it your chest so tightly. I can't believe you had to go through that. Um, but it was excruciating. It was really, really bad. And my boobs did not look good now. <laughs> I have fake tits, so we fixed it. But it just looked awful, and it hurt. It hurt for, like, two months, I want to say. Mm. So it was really hard. And plus, because I wasn't walking around in that room, like, my recovery was really bad. So I was, like, limping because mm. of whatever reason. I'm not a doctor. But my epidural, I felt everything on one side, not the other. So it was reversed in the healing process where like my limp was on the opposite side and my back killed. Mm. Like my back was so sore for a really long time. they fuck up the epidural? I don't know. I don't know if that is like a common thing where the epidural doesn't set, but I was blessed with a second daughter, Riley, and she's five. That experience was literal bliss. And the epidural was fire as fuck and I didn't feel anything. And like I I knew what to do. I felt when I was supposed to push and it was Mm -hmm. just a very beautiful, happy experience. Mm -hmm. Micah, I had no idea what to do. I didn't know when to push. I didn't feel anything. I just, my, it was like my body was like just completely turned off. I didn't know what was happening. They had to tell me that it was time to push. I didn't feel it. But with Riley, I I was able to have the experience that I should have had the first time. Right. You know, I was home eating hot wings and ice cream like <laughs> yeah. a normal person. Um, and it was just a, a great experience. Well, I mean, you literally went through like a woman's worst nightmare. Yeah. Having your brand new baby ripped from your hands. Like that is literally the worst nightmare of, yeah. of all women, I imagine. It was horrendous. Like, I I really don't have words to describe how traumatic it was. But I am diagnosed PTSD now, so I can put that, you know, crown on. It was... It was eye-opening to get a diagnosis, actually, because I didn't really know what happened. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know why I couldn't remember things and why I was in a bed for two weeks and had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Now I get it. Mm-hmm. And when you've experienced trauma surrounding pregnancy, I think it just changes how you view everything. You know, so I never want another woman to go through trauma in a pregnancy ever again. Like, I don't mm. I don't want anyone to have that experience. I never want to go through it again. It was really hard. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. You know, the, the whole uh, the whole argument of all drugs being legal. Mm. I think that would be a, that would be a better thing for this country. I wouldn't say legal. I would say decriminalized. You know, right. because people hear like, oh, make drugs all legal. And they think they're going to there's going to be like a cocaine store down the street. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be a good. Store. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with a cocaine yeah. store? I mean, do you, bro? I'm not telling you. I mean, as long as a doctor gives it to you and you know it's like safe, you know what I mean? The problem with cocaine is it's cut with shit that kills you. Right. I mean, 
<laughs> that's why a lot of a other lot, problems. That's the main. That's the main problem. Right. People die because it gets cut with shit like fentanyl. And right now, I mean, the fentanyl epidemic is crazy as fuck, mm-hmm. and that's what happens when the war on drugs made it so strict to get pills and have access to pills. Mm-hmm. So they changed everything, and now it's so easy to get fentanyl and fake press pills. Mm-hmm. So like the war on drugs is not is not helping anyone. The war on drugs is never going to fucking end and it's the war mm. on the people. So I think we should, you know, decriminalize drugs right. and drug addicts don't deserve prison, which is fucking traumatizing. Right. Drug addicts that doesn't help treatment. anybody. No, and you can get drugs in prison. Right. So we're, we're not helping the situation. Um, maybe drug dealers, prison, drug addicts, treatment. You know, I think that would be a really good place to start, even Mm -hmm. though there's a lot of overlap. So there's going to be problems with that as well. So a lot of, you know, drug dealers, drug dealers are really addicts trying to pay for their supply. And we can differentiate between that. But there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, So I think the first thing that we should do is decriminalize drugs or at the very least stop putting addicts in prison. Yeah. I mean, at, I don't know if there, if you could say one positive thing about prison, like the one thing I would say is that most people that come out of it, at least that I've met have like a profoundly different view on life and they've, it's, it's benefited them it, where they've, well, when you have to sit in a, a one room for that long period of time or one place for that long period of time, you have to do so much self-reflection. You know what I mean? Like you learn so much about yourself. You just by, you know, the small group of people that you're surrounded with, you have to sit there and you have to think, you do whatever you do, you write letters. It does. There's some sort of, I think, personal growth that's goes along with it. Sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not all the time though. No, of course not. Of course not. Prison, you know, makes a lot of people angry. They're fucking Mm -hmm. mad at the system. And a lot of inmates are, you know, treated like animals across this country. Not that animals should be treated that way. Bad (laughs) analogy. Um, Prison is a a really fucked up place where inmates are traumatized and abused. And PTSD rates of inmates mirror that of war, like combat war veterans. That's not okay. You know, to have a a recidivism rate of upwards of 70% in the first three years, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. You know, to ostracize felons from getting work apartments we're further disconnecting them from society which further fuels um recidivism rates addiction suicide you know so there's so many problems with prison Mm. i'm grateful that you've met a lot of people that are doing really well myself included Um, but we have so many problems within our prison system that needs to change i'm not sitting here because prison helped me in any way i'm sitting here in spite of everything that i've i've gone through Mm. Have you been in contact with any of the people that were involved, like in your past life, ever since like you started doing the whole like YouTube thing? And yeah, yeah, I've interviewed uh, former runners of mine. Um, a friend of mine I used to sell to. She's sober and doing well, and she has a YouTube channel. Um, so I, I do talk to people from my past life. You know, sometimes, sometimes I, you know, along the way, I've tried to help my ex find recovery. He's struggling, and that's a really unfortunate thing to get out of it and see people struggle um but yeah i i talk to some of them or some people that i serve time with i'll write like letters write you and stuff mm-hmm. yeah there there was one time and it was so funny i had like five notebooks across my kitchen counter at one point and i'd just be writing inmates right like a couple of sentences here and i'd walk through like throughout the day of my life with two kids and whatever <laughs> i'd write a couple of sentences and at the end of the day when the letters were done i'd mail them out i'm like five we have five fucking inmates right now <laughs> And, you know, my friends from back home, they get locked up and they struggle with addiction. And I am the least judgmental about it and the most supportive that I could possibly be Mm -hmm. because that could still be me. 
they, they don't make it easy for you once you get out too. They don't make it easy for you to like fit back into society and try to like build a better life or build a normal life or because everything, it's impossible to get a job. It's impossible to rent an apartment. It's really hard. It's really hard to get a job. And even if you do get a job, you're not going to get a career with benefits. I mean, with like dental and vision or there's just not going to be a lot of opportunity for like long-term growth. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, when we first sat down, I said it needs to be celebrated when we see people come out and be entrepreneurs and, and start YouTube channels. It's it's tough, not just because we can't get jobs, but just the stigma. You know, I'm incredibly blessed and I, I work for myself and I answer to no one and I'm so grateful. But that is because my subscribers have been so supportive throughout the, way, throughout the whole journey. Mm -hmm. If no one was watching my channel, then all the other stuff that I do wouldn't have happened. I work with a treatment center, I'm a board member on a nonprofit, and I'm doing a lot of stuff. But it started because the Ride or Die crew, my subscribers, they support me and they watch my videos. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. But, you know, I, I think I think if you go to the short shelf on YouTube on any of my videos or go to my TikTok and you read the comments, that is not the ride or die crew. And you'll see like the short shelf, short shelf on What's YouTube. That? It's like TikToks, but on YouTube. Oh, the shorts. The shorts. Oh, yeah, yeah. YouTube has the yeah, TikTok. Yeah. OK, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to those videos that get pushed out really heavily, you're going to see a fucking laundry list of people that are like, just don't break the law. Shouldn't have broken the law. Don't go to jail. And it's just over and over again. Convict. No one gives a fuck criminal. And it's just hostile and really violent. Yeah. And I think that's a really good testament to how people view you after you've left prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not everyone. But um, it's it's like 50-50. Some people are like, damn, dude, you've been through a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. good job getting your shit together. Or you're trying. Mm. Keep going. Some It's like half right yeah. the other half is like on the internet keyboard warriors fuck you convict mm. we don't give a shit and yeah. they're aggressive about it which is super funny i love the youtube commenters do you they're so fun well they, they they hate me they they want me dead but wow. uh, i think they're Congratulations. fucking they're hilarious yeah. no like that means that you're you're doing it but youtube is like a rare thing because it's like it's the only i think it's the only social media platform that pays you to make shit right mm -mm. besides well, does tiktok pay now tiktok pays okay so tiktok and youtube what else instagram pays what instagram is monetized so i can take my my tiktoks and make them instagram reels and they pay me and then i can also get paid on youtube with my shorts you get paid directly should, on instagram we should talk really? after the after the episode i'll help you out oh my god that's crazy i had no idea yeah they they're changing so they they recently monetized just a few months ago so it's okay, okay you don't know and Two, what, and so, and the Instagram, so YouTube is trying to compete with TikTok or making these like short videos or whatever. Yeah, all my subscribers fucking hate them. They can't really? stand them. They're like, why are these shorts happening? But it allows me to be seen on a wider audience. And a lot of my shorts have surpassed my best performing YouTube video by millions of views. Really? Yeah. It's Damn. insane. Because they push them. Someone was just telling me about this mm. yesterday. Mm -hmm. Somebody was just telling me about, about the youtube shorts yeah. and uh basically it's like youtube trying to compete with tiktok but then i was thinking about it i'm like what the like youtube subscriber people who go on youtube and they subscribe to a channel they're usually they, they want to sit there and if especially if it's like someone they know like you like it's a personality who they're familiar with like they are used to 10 minute videos or 20 minute videos of you talking about whatever mm -hmm. and if they start seeing these 30 second videos pop up every day like isn't gonna piss them off or annoy them a thousand percent mm -hmm. yeah they're so they're so done with it um but it it's helped my channel grow so because of the short, short shelf it's weird that we're talking about this now because i love and hate them i also hate shorts <laughs> um but i've grown like a hundred thousand subscribers just 
by uploading shorts. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. That's big. That's so wild. It's crazy. Does uh, Larry do those too? I think he does. Larry's a little TikTok yeah. lover. He's, He's always on TikTok making adorable. little cute little TikToks. I'm in TikTok jail right now, which is sucks. What? I know. I They always put me in jail. I'm used to it. I've done hard time. Um, so that's I can a, that's do a jail. You don't want to be in. <laughs> it's, it's the most. Um, but yeah, I, I meet Larry tomorrow and I have all these TikToks planned and I can't even post them until like <laughs> Monday cause I'm in jail. What does that mean? You're in jail, TikTok jail. So they violate you for saying shit like ew because they're like, ridiculous. yeah, ew. E W W W. I said ew on someone's video and I got mm. put in jail for Like that. a comment? Like a comment. Mm-hmm. It's a fucked up world over there. And they suspended you? I mean, so I like live in TikTok jail. It's either my content or like a comment that I say to somebody, um, which if it's my content fair, I get it. Like I am prison addiction, mental health, and I swear like, okay, but a comment like, come on, it's they're too sensitive. If it's a video like of my story, though, I a thousand percent understand why they wouldn't want like young people seeing that. You know? But why would TikTok allow it and YouTube not? Or Instagram and Instagram and YouTube allow this shit, but TikTok is so different. I don't know. I There was a TikTok um, like whistleblower that said if TikTok hates you, like people at TikTok, they'll constantly flag you. So someone at TikTok, I've pissed off. <laughs> like they really? don't like me. And like I'm kind of living for it. It's fine. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And do you, do you have any issues on your like? The kind of content that you post, mm-hmm. uh, like true crime, prison stories, stuff like that on your YouTube channel. Do you ever get any kind of issues with like YouTube censoring your content? All the time. Really? So they'll demonetize a video, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to post it. Right. You know, so that's YouTube will be like, we're not going to pay you for this. But I knew going in like from the very beginning that a lot of stuff that I talk about goes against their guidelines and I'm completely okay with it. So I'll film a video about my addiction knowing full well that it won't be monetized because it's important. And we Talking talk about, about addiction, it. they'll, they'll mm-hmm. demonetize you? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yep. So, you know, if you have like heroin or meth in the title, they get a little freaked out. Mm-hmm. They don't mess with you? I noticed uh, on one of your videos, yeah, they fuck with me hard. Mm-hmm. I noticed on one of your videos, uh, you uh, you should, on the word prison, you like put an asterisk on one of the yeah. letters of the word prison. So you can't even post something with the word prison on it. I never used to be able to. They don't care okay. now. So I, I used to do that to try to like get away with it. I know a lot of people who keep say they, they get a uh, shadow banned on YouTube to where like they'll post stuff and people can actually find it in the search. Mm. Especially like one guy I know who has like does like a lot of true crime stuff. He says that and you can like type in the name of the video and you can't actually find it. Oh, Have you ever sucks. dealt with that shit? I mean, right now my views on YouTube are really low. Yeah. Um, and it just comes in waves, you know? So sometimes YouTube won't even recommend my videos to my own subscribers, which is so fucked, Mm -hmm. but it's just, YouTube is hard. (laughs) It's a hard world. Instagram is, uh, I sent it to you, him yesterday, uh, but Instagram I heard is going back to the chronological feed Mm. to where they don't just post, they don't just show you whatever the algorithm thinks you need to see. You know how, I don't know if you remember when Instagram first came out, No. but, uh, when it first came out, they would just show you like what all your people you follow. Uh-huh. It would show you what they posted in that order, like when they posted it. Now you did, they just show you whatever they think you're going to like or share. So This is going to sound weird. Algorithm. They're getting, they're going backwards with the algorithm. I mean, I like old school stuff. I, I know I'm on social media. It's like my job, but I'm mm-hmm. not like on social media. Yeah. Like I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I don't watch a lot of TikTok. I, I don't scroll on Instagram. Really? I try not to. And I don't have my phone on weekends if I'm at home. Like mm-hmm. I just... 
it's a lot. I try yeah. to detach as as best as I can. Well, you're busy and you have two you have two children you're mm-hmm. taking care of, so that makes yeah. sense. The phone is violent, also. Mm-hmm. Like I could just be minding my own business and I'll get a death threat, like <laughs> randomly, and I'll just see it. I have all notifications turned threat. off. Who the fuck would give you a death threat? Just random people, or they're like, "Fix your teeth, bitch," Trolls. and I'm like, "I know." So <laughs> I'll just be sitting there eating dinner or something, and I, I even though I have all notifications turned off, YouTube is like, "Fuck you, we we want you to see this one." Not a nice comment, like, yeah. "Bitch, go die." And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, who hurt you? That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, they um, the shit like the out al- the whole algorithm thing. How they they change the algorithm every seems like every single week. And people, there's people out there who like make content and they just constantly try to chase the algorithm. Mm. You know what I mean? They kind of they constantly are trying to like find what's gonna like fit, what's gonna like hit right, the right clickbait, the right thumbnail, blah 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 blah. You all never that stuff. Know. So many people on YouTube are so obsessed with that stuff. You know, like. I've I've been there just studying the data and the analytics and what's performing well and what's not and like I I can get caught up in it too mm. because I get like hyper focused on shit you know like I have mm. ADHD and I'm like yeah. oh must understand must find algorithm <laughs> so like I get it mm. but at the end of the day you have no idea I, I had a video blow up it was how to make prison pizza and the the whole thing was like oh fuck I don't have a video for tomorrow like I usually post tomorrow I should probably whip something up mm-hmm. the day before I rummaged through my pantry for all these fucking snacks to make prison pizza and like my sleeve wasn't finished so that's super embarrassing I didn't know it was gonna blow up and BuzzFeed picked it up oh shit uh, cringe 26 million views on BuzzFeed wow and then a bunch of other pages popped off with it because they stole it right from BuzzFeed which stole it from me I made zero dollars mm. um uh, I did, however, get a lot of people telling me not to break the law. So that was worth it. <laughs> it, was, it was people telling you not to break the law? Yeah, I shouldn't have broken the law. Oh, wow. Stop glorifying prison, skank. So it was fun. Really fun to go viral on Facebook. How long ago was that? I didn't even know BuzzFeed was still a thing. Like a year ago, I think, prison pizza popped off and got really? crazy. Mm-hmm. So how do you make prison pizza? <laughs> so <laughs> you need to watch the video. Don't skip the ads. Thanks. Uh, saltine crackers. And pizza sauce and cheese, pepperoni, sausage, pickles. It sounds weird. You're going to find all this shit in prison? Yeah. What do you really? Mean? Sausage and pickles? <clears throat> oh, my God. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Some people put ramen noodles on their prison pizza. Don't trust those people. They're not to be trusted. Yeah. That sounds um, like too yeah, many carbs. All. Yeah. You can just buy all that stuff on commissary. Really? There's a whole, like, there's, like, cookbooks about this, about prison food. Oh, yeah. I know that. But I didn't know you could get, like, like pickles and sausage and all these amazing toppings in yes, prison. Yes, you can. Really? It's not the gourmet pickles, but you get some pickles. They're not the, they're not the Wickles pickles? Oh, no. <laughs> Pickle in bag. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's funny as shit. Um, well, cool. Thank you for uh, for doing this and uh, sharing your story. It was it was uh, very moving and and uh insane just insane i've never i've never heard like a more terrifying prison story than the one you just told me yeah and i've heard a lot of fucked up shit babies in prison it's really hard but thank you for having me after i ditched you like twice now it's, you did i think twice maybe, maybe twice wow that's fucked up i know my life is insane that's but okay well i forgive you <laughs> thank you so much and thank you for having me absolutely yeah, thanks tell our coming. listeners and uh and viewers where they can find all of your s- amazing content yeah it's just my name it's just jessica kent on youtube my vlog channel where you can see my family it's jessica kent vlogs my podcast on spotify which is not consistent and not a complete shit show uh it's just jessica kent on spotify sweet awesome well thanks again jessica thank you goodbye world <laughs>